Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome back to Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis 25 today and hopefully off into 26 as well. In fact, today I intend to just simply cover as much ground in the text as possible. I don't have any Luther prepared for today uh, simply because I'd like to move on. So um, we have Abraham's death and his descendants. Did we cover that part last week or just the first line? Just the first line. Because we wanted to take our time and go through what Luther had to say about uh, the appearance of Keturah here. And then also we took a look at the study Bible pages 54 and 55 so that we don't always have to uh, keep revisiting um, you know, controversial topics like Old Testament uh, marriage and then polygamy, prostitution, intermarriage, etc. But we could just simply have spent last hour, which we did, laying that foundation. So let's pick up then at chapter 25, verse 1, and just move through the text. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dadan. The sons of Dadan were Asherim, Letushim, and Loimim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanach, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now, gathered to his people is simply a Hebrew idiom, and yet let's not move past what it's an idiom of. To be gathered to his people does not simply mean to die. Of course, it means that, but it means more. To be gathered to one's people implies that those people are quite alive, which we would expect. So, uh, God is the God not of the dead, but of the living. And so... Even here in the Old Testament scriptures, all the way here in uh, Genesis 25, there's a recognition of an afterlife. Sometimes I bring that out, it might strike you as, well, duh, Pastor Rody, but sometimes it's said in the, uh, in the Old Testament scholars and other people will say, well the, well, the Old Testament knew nothing of the afterlife. On the basis of what? I mean, Dr. Doolittle's PhD thesis, where he didn't really read the Old Testament, because everywhere we see uh, recognitions like these, where the afterlife is stated, or the resurrection is stated. We'll see examples of that. Okay, So he's gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. So, again, we recognize the strangeness and the weakness with which God's initial promise is fulfilled to Abraham and Sarah, that you will inherit the land, well, the only bit of the land that they properly own is a burial site, and the only way that they properly inhabit 
that promised land is through death. By being buried in that site, then they reside there in the promised land. Now, that speaks to the great mystery, namely the new heavens and the new earth being the chief promised land to which we are all going. And that the way, again by type, by symbol and imagery, the way into that promised land is specifically death. Faithful death. That is, in a literal sense, now think of it, in a literal sense, Abraham and Sarah are buried in the original promised land by death. That's how they become inheritors of it. So in the true and promised land of the new heavens and the new earth, we become inheritors only through death, faithful death and the God who keeps his promises. Okay? Verse 11, After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laharoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servants, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nefish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. So what we have here in terms of narrative is we indicate that the torch, so to speak, has been passed on to Isaac, but we have the loose end in terms of narrative of Ishmael to wrap up. That's what we just did. Here are his progeny. Here is the extent of his life. And then he also is gathered to his people. Now, the fact that he is there for the burial of his father and the fact that it is said of him that he is gathered to his people are pretty good indications that Ishmael himself died in the faith. So, even though later on he is used as a type uh, for, the, for unbelief, for example, um, uh, in Galatians, where you have the bondwoman Hagar and the son of the bondwoman Ishmael, that's a typological use. Uh, it's very different when it comes to the individual himself, as this text seems to indicate. Okay. All right, that gets us on to verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac. All right, so we're back to Isaac and the main line of the narrative. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. Now, we got that, didn't we, just at the end of... uh, Yeah, uh, not the end, but all of 24 is Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. 
And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Ah, where have we heard this before? Yeah, so we have uh, in, the, in the Holy Family itself, so to speak, tracking down the lineage of Jesus, you have Baron Sarah and now Baron Rebecca. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So the study note says, Perhaps through her father-in-law Abraham, who was a prophet of the Lord, and had lived another 15 years after these events. So to go to inquire of the Lord may have meant concretely to go to uh, Abraham. And the Lord said to her, so here you can take the Lord directly, or you can follow the study note that the Lord was speaking through Abraham, which is probably also the way Luther takes it. At any rate, whether immediately or immediately, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So there's the twist. Um, in our egalitarian age, being the oldest doesn't mean so much, except for the parents get to cut their parental skill teeth on you. Uh, oh, joy. Um, but when it comes to being firstborn, there isn't a whole lot of privilege. Of course, in uh, many places in the world still today, and certainly back in these times, to be the firstborn meant that you were the chief inheritor. Okay. So that's why this is so shocking. In the first place, probably shocking to hear that two nations are in your womb. It's a pretty incredible thing to be said. So both children, when they come, are going to be prolific and are going to be great and are going to be fountainheads of peoples. Okay. Um, but the two peoples from within you shall be divided. We'll see that to a degree even with the brothers themselves, with the twins themselves, and then certainly down the line uh, with the peoples. Now, the one should be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. That's the shocking part. So um, the fact that the older, as we shall see, uh, Esau will end up serving the younger. That's Jacob. Now, the point of this from Romans chapter 9 is that God simply elects Jacob to be the one before they're even born. So before they did any good or evil, before there was any merit or worthiness or demerit or unworthiness, God simply selects Jacob, the younger, for that role. There's a sense in these twins where the younger is greater than the, the older. Um, there's a little bit of a typological way to understand this. Christ as being the second Adam, as scriptures call him. So you have a first Adam and a second Adam. The second is greater than the first. That would be part of this motif of the second of the twins being greater than the first. All right. Verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. 
The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, a blanket included. So they called his name Esau. That's pretty funny. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Ah. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. So uh, if you look at the study note, holding Esau's heel as though trying to prevent Esau from being born first. At this birth, Isaac was 60 years old. Abraham was 160 years old. Abraham died when the twins were 15 years old, and Isaac was 75 years old. Okay, so that's... Uh, now, as you know that how this story unfolds, that's pretty, it's pretty foreshadowing, pretty foretelling, isn't it, that Jacob has a hold of Esau's heel. Yeah. Okay, verse 27. When the boys grew up... Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. So what do we know about Esau? He's hairy. He's a, a skillful hunter and a man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man, which can also mean a man of integrity, says the study note. While Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. I'm not sure that that's the point. I think the point is the contrast of these two. So that if you were to look at the two, now that they are born, now that their personalities and physical characteristics are manifest, who is stronger than the other? Uh, who is going to serve the other? Well, the stronger one is clearly Esau, and the one to serve is clearly Jacob. I think you can read this in a playful way, and I have. In fact, I've, I've preached it along these lines, that if you were to put this in sort of modern speech uh, and modern thought pattern, Jacob is a bit of a mama's boy. He likes dwelling in tents. Not suggesting he was emasculate in any way. He is probably very masculine. But nonetheless, we don't, we don't camp. We go to hotels. Skin is sensitive to the sun. Yeah, yeah, he, right. Well, yeah, he could wear lotion. The hairy guy couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, you get, the, you get the picture, they're very different. And then you're going to get the picture, too, in the sense of uh, the parental relationships, which are fascinating, of course, spiritually and psychologically. Uh, but obviously, Jacob is very close to mom. And, by contrast, Esau appears to be pretty close to dad. All right, verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So there's some interesting family dynamics. Esau, or Isaac, I mean, loves Esau because, hey, he brings home food, and I like the food. That in itself is a little strange, isn't it? But Rebekah loved Jacob. So Rebekah has a favorite, and it's not the oldest. It's not the hairy one. It's the one who stays uh, in the tent with her. Verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. 
So that's interesting. Again, Esau comes in bringing the food. Jacob is cooking it. Esau comes in from the field, and now he and he was exhausted. Verse thirty, and Esau said to Jacob, "Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted." Uh, therefore, his name was called Edom. Parenthetically, if you look at the study note on thirty, it was red because of the brown red lentils, which resembled split peas in size and shape. And the note on called Edom because Esau's descendants were called. Edomites. It's, it says, go to page 236. I want to just see real quick what's there. I'm sorry? Diet, Diet is that what it is? Nah, wasn't what I was looking for. Wasn't what I was hoping for. All right. Jacob said, verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Exaggerates much, huh? Yeah. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then, <coughs> excuse me, then Jacob gave Esau <coughs> bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay. So here too, interesting in terms of personality, interesting in terms of narrative. So not only do we have this sense that, uh, I mean, I don't want to overdo it with the character sketch, but, but Esau's this type of guy, outdoors, lives off the land, uh, sort of lives for, for the right now, as opposed for, to for the tomorrow. <laughs> and um, is so hungry when he comes off the field, his brother... Uh, rather rather cunningly in some respects, manipulatively in some respects, says, how about your birthright? You know, it doesn't seem to be he's joking. You know, it doesn't seem to be a joke. But it is nonetheless kind of a odd thing. Um, and uh, Esau just doesn't really care. Says, okay, fine. No problem. Yeah. So... Um, if you look at the study note on 2531, regarding sell me your birthright, Jacob wanted to acquire the privileges of the firstborn by trickery. These privileges included a double portion of the inheritance, Deuteronomy 21, leadership over the family, and the blessing to carry on the covenant promise. Um, as 2532 points out, Esau's ongoing speech shows he, was not, he is not near death, even though he said he was. Rather, he demonstrated an overdramatic and careless disregard for the right to be the firstborn. So, uh, I think if you look down at the study note on 29 through 34, Esau disdains his birthright. So that's a sin and a sinful attitude. And Jacob schemes against his brother. That's a sin and a sinful attitude. Neither is worthy of the Lord's favor and honor to carry on the promise. By our sinful nature and our actions, we are unworthy of any blessing of this life, especially the gift of forgiveness and eternal life with Christ. Yet in His mercy, especially the gift of forgiveness and eternal—or excuse me—yet in His mercy, we receive a great inheritance, because Christ has made us a part of His family in baptism. We are heirs of the promise made to the patriarchs and fulfilled in Christ.
Okay. Yes, do you have a thought, Liz? Just um, so since God said this was going to happen, that um, the younger would serve the older, but God didn't mean it to happen in this way? Well, I think, I don't know. I mean, I would say, I would say that I, I think that God said it's going to happen no matter what. And, and the, thing, the thing about this episode, it doesn't seem practical. It doesn't seem very binding, does it? Well, yeah, I, not, not, not upon reading, but also in terms of the narrative later on, I, I mean, Isaac is fully ready to bless Esau, and indeed thinks he's blessing Esau. So this was hardly binding in Esau's mind. Maybe it was binding in Jacob's mind. Maybe. But even then, he's scheming. He's not going and saying, hey, we have this contract, we have this deal. So I, this, this, to me, is more, um, it's ironic given what happens. It's ironic given their attitudes toward it and the sin of both. Um, but it, it, to me, is more sort of like one of those half-playful, half-dangerous things that brothers do. Yeah, interactions. At any rate, um, this becomes, uh, of course, a, a great type of uh, sin, and especially sin for apostasy. Because when you think of birthright, that's sonship. And so this becomes a type, particularly for those of us who uh, count ourselves daughters and sons of God, children of God. So to sell your inheritance, to sell your uh, birthright, to sell your sonship, for what? And that is effectively, you know, the, the little bowl of soup, right? Oh, I have to have this, whatever this is. And this becomes so important that we're willing to turn our back on the far greater gift, namely the birthright, all for this momentary pleasure. Isn't that exactly like sin is? And the enticement of sin that says, come on, it's great soup. Enjoy. After all, you're dying. You've got to have it. Have it. It'll only cost you your birthright. I mean, that's a satanic type of thing, isn't it? Typologically considered. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that takes us through chapter 25. Any other thoughts before we go on to uh, chapter 26? Yes, Phyllis. Well, I, I just wondered uh, why was this birthright such a big issue? Uh, did, did it involve... Uh, Esau doing certain things, filling out forms and nah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> a lot of bookwork or something. Well, yeah, I mean, it just it basically means who's in charge of the family in the next generation. Oh. Yeah, so who gets a double portion of the inheritance. Mm -hmm. So I guess Esau would just rather go hunting and forget about everything else. Yeah, Esau shows a real disregard for his family. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, I, again, I, if you just look at their, they're fascinating figures. At least I can't help but doing this. Maybe it's just my own hang-up. But he, he, he seems to be a very lone sort of guy. It doesn't say he's out there with other men, with his father. He's just, Esau's his own unique guy. And he's out there doing his thing, doing his manly thing. And you get the sense that he doesn't like dwelling in tents. The, fa the obvious favorite is Jacob, at least favorite of the mom. So there's a little distance, oh, right, between Jacob and Rebecca. You know, mm -hmm. he he doesn't really care to inherit it. Doesn't really care to you know lead it. Now he now when it comes down to it, and and in that moment, right, he sure wants that wealth and in that power. 
So, mm-hmm. that, so anyway, we sort of see that like you know, just a very casual, flippant, live for today sort of, you know, maybe even stereotypical kind of male. And then when it, when it passes, of course, he laments it, right? Yeah, when, he's, when he discovers he's deceived and doesn't receive it, then there's, there's grief, right? But it's a kind of, it's a weird grief because it's grief after the pattern of uh, Cain. It's sort of a grief after the fact. I mean, here he clearly despises it, right? And it's sort of a grief at, oh, now I see what I've lost. Not that I value the thing itself. Not that I value the responsibility or the calling or the provision or any right that I'll, that I'll provide. Like, doesn't value that. He just, in the end, values that his self-interests were wounded. So, yeah, if you, if you analyze it along that, his sort of experience is analogous to that of, uh, of Cain, sort of weeping and lamenting after the fact, and even then only because it didn't work out, not because there was any genuine or authentic change of heart. Yeah. But there's more to Isaac than that. I don't mean to give a false impression, because, or excuse me, Esau, gosh. There's more to Esau than that. Don't mean to give a false impression, as we'll see. Okay, so there's this weird uh, foreshadowing here, and uh, we'll we'll see where that leads. So into chapter 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now I think the study note will bear this out. Yeah, about 97 years have passed since Abraham's encounter with an Abimelech of the Philistines. Either Abimelech was a dynastic title or this king was a descendant with the same name. Okay. So, you know, so Abimelech would be something like Pharaoh, you know, or the president of the United States. Multiple people could hold it. And the Lord appeared to him, that is, appeared to Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So here is a very important and foundational pattern also. There's just patterns everywhere in these texts because this is the origin of really, in a sense, all the other stories. When there's a famine, do you go to the other nations for help or do you go to God for help? Right? So God intervenes here and says, don't go to the other nation, don't go to Egypt. And we all know what... Egypt forebears, too, when we think of uh, the slavery there that will ultimately happen. Um, But come with me, I will help you. Um, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So I'm upholding the oath I made to Abraham, and now I'm making the same oath to you, and I'm going to uphold it to you, for you. Verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. One thing to highlight here, that phrase, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, that's the messianic promise. That's the promise that through your line the Messiah will come. Okay, as we've seen before.
Verse 6, so Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Ah, where have we seen that before? Like his father Abraham, Isaac doubted the Lord's protection and hid the truth regarding his wife. So he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. All right. What we have here is one more of these ironic and strange circumstances where the pagan neighbors are scolding the Holy Family for uh, their unfaithfulness and the disaster that could have resulted. Right. So we saw this at least twice with Abraham, now once with Isaac. All right, verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that, fe- in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The study note points this detail out. Unlike Abraham, Isaac planted and harvested crops, signaling an important change in the family's life. The abundant harvest, a sign of God's favor and blessing. So Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Verse 15, Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are mightier than we. So obviously if you fill somebody's wells... They're not going to have water for them or their uh, animals, whatever. Um, That's what folks would do to drive you away. So that's what they did to Isaac and his family. Verse 17, So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Now it's interesting here because I don't mean to make a, a big deal out of it, but if you had established your property and you had your um, your crops and they came and buried your wells and they even said, well, you're mightier than we are, what might you do about that? Go and take their wells. Or, bare minimum, go and fill their wells. <laughs> I don't know. You know, an eye for an eye. Uh, but it's fascinating here. It's It's understated. In fact, it's unstated. Isaac simply moves on. It's an interesting thing. It's a really interesting thing. Because here you have a a Christian in a pagan land and the pagans abuse him. 
He doesn't exact vengeance. He doesn't call down fire and brimstone. He doesn't even exact justice. He just says, okay, and moves on. In a sense, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it bespeaks his certain, at bare minimum, his temperance, his even-keeled nature. Uh, probably even more than that, his ability, his ability to forgive a merciful and humble heart. At least a heart that doesn't want to uh, go into conflict. At any rate, verse 17, So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. So as far as I can tell, backtracking here a bit, so to speak. And he, and he gave them the names that his father had given them. So he finds himself back in his father's land, so to speak, or at least the area where his father was. You know, it's interesting because his father was much more nomadic and uh, seems to have flocks and grazing and that kind of thing so that there wasn't any land that seems to be legally owned by him other than the burial site. But now this is interesting because uh, Isaac's there and he's going to plant. So that, you know, that's a little bit more substantive. Anyway, verse 19, But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Let's see. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. I keep looking for the study note to see if they tell us what these names mean. Like Essek must mean eye gouge, and Sitna must mean headbutt, or something like that. They quarreled and they fought over these places. Well, apparently we're supposed to know, but we don't know. And the study note, as best as I can, the study Bible, as best as I can tell, doesn't help us. There it is, there it is. Thank you. Now I found it, all the way down in the fine, fine print. Hebrew, oh, wait, 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 wait. I don't know where that one is. Okay, Essek means contention, you're right, and Sitna means what? Enmity. Okay, good. All right, so let's, uh, where's one? Does anyone see what one is? Hebrew may suggest an intimate relationship. Does anyone see the little superscript one? I see two right right after Essek, three right after Sitna, four right after Rehoboth, but I don't see one. Gosh, it's just too small, isn't it? Now that I really look at it, there's all these other bizarre things. Oh, well. Nobody else sees one? The people online are... We see it. We see it. There it is. Verse 8. Yeah, laughing with. Hebrew may suggest an intimate relationship. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, you kind of wonder there if it's... Uh, yeah, if it's an... Well, you wonder if it's an idiom, you know, for something... 
more physical. Uh, or, or um, of course, you're talking about Mideastern culture, and that's something that frequently is lost on me as I read through the text. It shouldn't be, but you're talking about a culture that still wears head coverings. You know, wasn't it Rebecca that upon seeing, uh, or, yeah, Rebecca upon seeing Isaac covered her face, veiled her face. So, so you're, ta- you're talking about a, probably a much more conservative relationship between males and females to the point where if there was laughing and joking, there's flirtation, and that might even have simply been indicative of the fact that, hey, they, they're more than brother and sister in this respect, right? Yeah, I don't know. Or it's idiomatic for something else. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, well, anyway, should we carry on? I think we left off around verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well. So look what's happening. He digs a well, he gets confronted. He digs a well, he gets confronted. And he keeps moving along as far as we can tell. So by not confronting, by not fighting, he's being sort of steered along a, a path and course, isn't he? It's interesting. Yeah, he's obviously not moving very far. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, just moving on to the next uh, the place where he thinks the next well is. So, and he moved from there and, and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth, which means broad places or room, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, we shall be fruitful in the land. I'm sure you could make a great deal out of this just in terms of uh, vocation and calling and God closing certain doors and opening others. Uh, there's certainly a pattern there, isn't it? Yeah. And, to, and moving on peacefully from that uh, as opposed to finding contention or a fight everywhere. Just, oh, that door's closed. Okay, God's got something else. Oh, that one too. And I don't mean to minimize it because they're digging wells. They're spending time. Time is money. Uh, in that day and age, time is survival. And so there was probably great stress and strife amidst you know, the family and the, and the extended family. But um, be that as it may, he just moves on until they find room. For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Verse 23, From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Fickol, the commander of his army. This is also an official title because we saw Fickol earlier, didn't we? Yeah, it's the same thing. Look at the study note. Either an official title or a family name that a descendant bears here because there's a Fickol earlier on. At any rate, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, (coughs) other than filling your wells. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Okay. 
So if you look at 26.29, by declaring Isaac to be blessed of the Lord, Abimelech also hoped for blessing because he acted kindly toward Isaac. He recognized and confessed that the Lord was fulfilling his promise to, uh, promises to Isaac. So, you know, it's going good for you. Hopefully if I'm friends with you, it'll go good for me. Verse 30, so he made them a feast and they ate and drank, which again is, is just quite hospitable. It's amazing. It's incredible, frankly. I mean, they filled his wells and chased him off and now he's profiting and doing well and they come begging and he's like, you know, doesn't have a nasty word for him, doesn't have a single word other than, okay, well, I'll make dinner. And it's a, it's he the, a good cook. yeah, it's the, he is a good cook. <laughs> Wait, no, that's right. We're the next generation. <laughs> so that's where his son got it. He did inherit something. Well, it's very much like Abraham, his father, and the three men that came and the hospitality shown. And um, this is, this is uh, hospitality too. Wasn't it that the Philistines, a separate group, filled the wells with earth and not Abimelech? Or was, he, was Abimelech a uh, Philistine? I thought he was a Philistine, oh, okay. unless I've got that wrong. I sure thought he was. Does anybody know? Where did we, where did we get reintroduced to Abimelech? Somewhere here in 26. Uh, 26.1. 97 years have passed since Abraham's encounter oh, with an, yeah, Abimelech oh, okay. of the Philistines. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All right. Okay, verse 30. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Okay, now I see another one of those tiny little... Yeah, Sheba sounds like the Hebrew word uh, for oath. Yeah, that's all that is. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and uh, Basim, this can't be base math, <laughs> Basimoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Yeah, no kidding. So he picks up two Hittite wives on the side. Which is a problem not only because that's contrary to God's purpose, that the two shall become one flesh, but it's also a problem because they're Hittites. So they're not... Uh, you remember the careful care that Abraham took to find from his own family and from the faithful line as much as possible a wife for Isaac. And now Isaac here has that and then, and then in a sense throws it away by going and grabbing two Hittite wives. Um, who make uh, life for Isaac and Rebekah bitter. You know, probably everyone else was doing it. Isn't it Esau? No. Wait, did I get that wrong? Wait, where is it? 34. Oh, did I screw up the names? I'm sorry. I, I did, I did. I'm sorry. My mind jumped to Isaac and I'm... Okay, wait a minute. When, sorry. <laughs> I did, I blew that whole thing. <laughs> oh, that was a mistake. Right, that's why, I, that's why I got confused. Sorry, thank you for pointing out that I'm confused. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and 
Bazavath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Okay, so Esau has the two Hittite women. So Esau is the one that blows it and intermarries. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, the son. The son. And the son made it bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah. Isaac and Rebecca, mom and dad. Guess what, mom and dad? I was hunting out in the field. What did you get? Two Hittite women. Great. Great. This was a dysfunctional family. They had favorites, right? Well, yeah, certainly Rebecca has favorites. That was in the text itself. And well, it said Isaac favored Esau. So. Did, oh, did it? So you have this dynamic going on there. So he's, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few levels of dysfunctionality here. Well, here's one more. Esau comes home with two Hittite women. Oh, boy. Okay, so then Isaac blesses Jacob. I've got to try to keep all these names straight. I have forever done this, actually. Screwed up these names and this, this little lineage. Well, that was weird that we're talking about... Uh, Isaac and then jump right into Esau, yeah. yeah. Okay, at um, 20, chapter 27.1, yeah, we still got time. <laughs> Give me a little transition there, yeah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. All right, so we're fast-forwarding quite a bit here. Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Okay. So this blessing is also the, giving of the, the formal giving of the inheritance. Now Rebekah, verse 5, was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son, isn't that interesting? Said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Ah, there's an interesting thing too. So the mother says to the the son, uh, who is an, uh, clearly an adult, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them uh, delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. <laughs> Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So... Well, this is certainly a bit of parental favoritism 
from Rebekah toward Jacob over and against uh, Esau. You have to wonder at the marital dynamic there a little bit too because she's conspiring to deceive her husband, Isaac. So there's that there also. At any rate, he's, Esau's supposed to bring back food. So part of the deception number one is they've got to have food. So that's what they're doing. Deception number two is uh, Esau's a hairy man and Jacob, as he says, is a smooth man. So they've got to remedy that. Verse 14, so he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And notice it's the mother doing all of this. Interesting. I don't know what to make of it. It's just in the text. And let your curse be on me, my son, is, you know, just interesting. I don't know really what to say about it. The study note on verse 8 says that Rebecca remembered the Lord's promise, and that's why she's going. She's acting in faith in her here. Own hand, taking it into her own hands to make it happen. I'll have to find uh, what Luther says about this and bring it next week. That'd be a real interesting place to hear from him. I, he probably does take it that way. If so, if you read it that way, which maybe that's the best way, let your curse be upon me, is, whether misguided or not, has a, has a Christological aspect to it in the sense that, hey, whatever consequences come, I'll bear them. I know the Lord wills this for you. Yeah. You know, and the idea that this centers all around a meal, I'm sure we could explore that and the theology and the type of that as well. I don't want to make too much of a daydream over the exercise, though. So... Let's, uh, let's carry on and look at, um, where did we leave off? Verse 18? Yeah. So he went into his father and said, my father, wait. No, 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 no. we missed the, we missed the, 12, thank you. 11, thank you. Are you talking like 15? 13. 13? Oh, thank you. Oh, okay. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. I'm guessing that's the back of your neck. Yeah, beard in the front, throat beard. Probably. Yeah, probably. At any rate, the study note doesn't say, does it? No, there is no study note. Right when you want to know which side of the neck it is. Verse 17, And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So it's fascinating because she clothes him, she prepares him with food, she's got it all, all together. Um, there's one type here that I've seen, and I wouldn't know where its origin is. But, okay, so the type is that um, Rebecca is like the church, okay, the mother. And we are like Jacob, um, clothed, right? Uh, even the skins. All, so Paul says, all of you who have been baptized have been clothed in Christ. So the mother clothes us in Christ, puts on the skins. Uh, 
gives us the food, right? All of these things, so that we receive the Father's blessing. What's that? Well, let's leave out the fooling the Father part. Yeah, the church fools God the Father. No, yeah, probably not that part. But the other points of comparison uh, being, being types, that would be an anti-type, yeah. Um, at any rate, your mileage may vary there, but that's the image is that we are clothed like the older brother, the older brother being Christ and presented to the Father, and the Father gives us the blessing when we do not deserve it. That would, those would be essentially the broad breaststrokes here, for better or for worse. Okay, so then we have uh, verse 18. So he went to his father and said, My father, don't you wonder if he like did a fake voice, <clears throat> tried to sound more masculine? And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So there's a sense there that maybe the voice doesn't sound right. Yeah, or something's not right, yeah. Who are you, my son? Anyway, I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Now, the, all of it's, I don't know which comes first, but the name Jacob means deceiver. So it may, it, you know, it's one of those chicken and the egg things. But did it become synonymous with deceiver because of his deceit? Yeah, probably. Um, or did it mean that beforehand and then they... Probably less likely. Who knows? Maybe someone online knows. Um, at any rate, you see the deceit here full-blown. I am Esau, your firstborn. I mean, that's, that's just a lie. <coughs> I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. It's all lies. Verse 20. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Now dragging God into it. Yeah. And it gets even worse, doesn't it? Yeah, one, lie, one lie leads to another and to a greater. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you. I mean, that too is a distrusting move, right? He doesn't trust what he's being told. Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said. So that was the final test, smelling the smell of his garments. And of course they are Esau's garments. So. And blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, 
and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your father or may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? There's the... Yeah, yeah, the study note doesn't... Okay, Jacob means... Okay, looking down at the little fine print again. Jacob means he takes by the heel or he cheats. So, cheating. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? All right. Let's look at 36 quick. Yeah. We'll have to fetch this out a little bit more next week. And we'll go back to the blessing too. And we'll go back and hear what Luther has to say. Um, yeah, two weeks, right. So let's, let's simply uh, say, um, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Verse 37, Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Okay, then what comes next is Isaac does give him a blessing, but it's not quite the blessing that he had hoped for. Let's, uh, let's really diagnose that as deeply as we can in two weeks. Two weeks. We're off, off duty next week because